Welcome to the frontier of the metaverse, where we learn from high quality entrepreneurs, artists, and change makers shaping the future of the metaverse. Here we discuss how to level up, how to get started, and how to get ahead of the opportunity. I'm your host, Howard Kingston. This episode is with Fabian Wettekamp. Now, there's a new type of organization in Web3 that people are starting to organize themselves in. They're called DAOs. Now, DAOs are really interesting, and I believe they're really going to change a lot of things from how we do investments, but right through to eventually how governments are run. So I really think this is an important topic you know about. In this episode, we dive into what is a DAO? We talk about some examples of DAOs and how you can join one. And Fabian is full-time in Web3, and we talk about how he made the transition from his old career into a Web3 career. With that, let's get to the show. Fabian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Howard. Happy to be here. So I'd love to know a little bit, just a little bit about your background before we start talking. We're going to be talking about DAOs and all that good stuff today. But how did you even get started in the world of technology and all that good stuff? My original background is in computer science, which I studied in, in Germany. Then I started to help build a few startups around the world, one in Malaysia, one in Singapore, and, and one in Berlin. So I always had this technology focused. And then, yeah, stumbled across Ethereum in, in 2017. And that was immediately caught my attention because I was always interested how technology can solve large problems in the world. And Ethereum seems to be the platform that is really able to do that. But back in the day, it was largely just used as a crowd sale platform for ICOs. And there were not that many products built. But then with the advent of DeFi in 2019, when I saw MakerDAO and all the other super interesting DeFi protocols coming up, I fully dived in and then also went full-time to crypto. And since then, yeah, it's been a very wild ride. So do you remember the thing that really caught your attention to go into the rabbit hole? There's a lot of tech entrepreneurs out there and some of them still haven't quite seen Web3 or gotten it. And then for other people, something catches their attention and then they're gone down the Web3 rabbit hole. Do you remember what that was for you? For me, there was a blog post that took the MakerDAO white paper and really compressed it to a very, I would say, high level, made it very understandable. And I think that was released in late 2018. And when I read that, it was really eye-opening for me. It was such a complex and interesting system that really realizes the entire value with smart contracts. And that was the first moment where I saw a real-world application, money essentially die, a stable coin, being completely managed by on-chain smart contracts. And I think this was this was something that was up to that point was not fully proven that smart contracts can actually do something like that. So yeah, MakerDAO really was the inflection point for me. Do you remember where that blog post was or, or no? I can definitely dig up the link for sure. It was quite popular at the time. I think I'm probably not the only one that went to the DeFi rabbit hole based on that blog post. So one of the things I really wanted to have you on today's show for was we're going to be exploring this area of DAOs. And I would say of all the people I've met, you are 
one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to dives I've come across. I remember when we met in New York, you were telling me about all the different dives you were part of, and I love to dig into that in a few minutes. If someone's listening and they've heard of a dive, not quite sure what it is, or maybe maybe not heard about it very much, how would you explain what a DAO is to somebody? So a DAO essentially is just a collective of people that follow a specific purpose. That can be a collective of people that wants to invest in certain assets that could be building a product or providing a service. The incentives between those people are aligned through on-chain mechanics. So on-chain mechanics, what that means is that the value that is being created in the DAO and that flows back to the members of the DAO, that happens on-chain. So if I'm a member of the DAO, my membership of the DAO is somehow registered on the blockchain. And if I then contribute value to the DAO or the DAO creates value, then that value in some form goes back to me to my on-chain identity. That really on a very, very high level is what a DAO really is. And a DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Have I got that correct? That's exactly right, yeah. I think the term is perhaps slightly overloaded because everyone immediately assumes that the entire structure is completely decentralized, which is not necessarily true for every DAO. And autonomous also means that people could assume that no one needs to do anything because naturally it's autonomous. Both of these terms are not 100% true. I would say the core of it is it's an organization similar to, to all the organizations that we have in the real world, the LLCs and their likes. But instead of an LLC or purely an LLC, it runs on the blockchain. That's a great definition. Something you mentioned is that there's some different types of DAOs. I've come across the investment ones. Could you explain maybe one or two most common uses? I would say there are three high-level categories for DAOs. The one that probably has found the most adoption are investment DAOs. Investment DAOs are DAOs that it's a set of members, a collective that gets together and decides to invest in a certain type of assets. The number of members usually ranges between, I would say, 10 to 500 people. So it's relatively small. These people pool capital and then they either make one-time investment, which was famously the constitution now, where they tried to buy the constitution, which didn't really work out for a very variety of reasons. Or it's more a perpetual investment mandate where the group of people says they want to invest in NFTs or they want to invest in, in art or yeah, it really can be anything. Those are investment DAOs. That one's almost like an investment club. Completely. Yeah, that's the perfect analogy. Yeah. And then the second category are protocol DAOs. So protocol DAOs mean that if you have a DeFi protocol or any kind of protocol that runs on a blockchain, which essentially is just a product, a set of smart contracts on a blockchain that fulfill a certain purpose. So that could be in the example of MakerDAO is a stable coin and all the governance around it. What the DAO then does is it's a collection of members that makes decision on how the protocol should evolve. So that can on the one hand be in the case of MakerDAO, how does the stable coin going to grow? Which type of strategies do they do? And there are many, many different subsets of decision-making that needs to go on there. And then the second part of the protocol DAO is if the protocol creates any value, in the case of MakerFee, if it 
generates fees, how are these fees then funneled back to the DAO members? And this is then where it gets always a little bit tricky in protocol DAOs because you have, on the one hand, token holders of the DAO. So anyone can just go out there and buy the MakerDAO token. By that, I'm entitled to fees. So I'm getting some value back from the DAO. But that does not mean that I'm also actively working for the DAO. And this is where sort of a huge discussion always comes in between how are the contributors, um, that are people that are actually actively working for the DAO and the token holders, how are they rewarded and how do you align the incentives between those two? So the protocol DAO, like summarizing, would be a bit like a type of governance for a product. Yes, exactly. That's right. Very simplistic, trying to really simplistically, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And there was a third type? And the third type, which is a new type, which I'm personally very excited about, are service DAOs. So service DAOs are collectives of people that perform services that could be a marketing DAO, which essentially is if you... Think about the spectrum between a freelance marketer and a marketer that works as an agency, right? If you're a freelance marketer, you have full autonomy over your work, you acquire your clients yourself, and you have absolute upside to the work that you do, but you have a lot of responsibility. On the other hand, if you work for an agency, you have very limited upside to your work, but all the other things are taken care of, right? The clients, you get the clients from the agency, all your taxes, all the app and stuff is being taken care of. And in the middle, there's this category of service styles where essentially you have a collective of marketers where some of the admin functionality is outsourced to, let's say, a third party. And all the value that the service DAO is being created actually flows back to the DAO and then flows back to the contributors. And I think this model can be a very, very nice middle ground between the autonomy of freelancers and the very rigid structure of being an employee in an agency. I think the word collective is probably the best analogy for that one. Could you give an example of one of these service styles? I actually have not come across them myself. Yeah, I hope you will soon because it's something that we're actively supporting. So one service style that we recently formed is called 5AM DAO. It's a design service style, and it's a DAO that helps Web3 products with design and UX, UI challenges. So I think in crypto, we can all agree that one of the biggest challenges is still getting proper UX, UI for the end user right. And that service style essentially has the mission of getting the best designers in the space together and then helping them to build great products in Web3. With our network of DAOs, we can, of course, then help the portfolio companies that invest in with the, the investment DAOs and then connect them to the service DAOs to then help them that the products, ideally, better products are being built. Wow, that's super cool. Fabian, you're a member of quite a few of these DAOs. Do you mind giving us some examples of some of the DAOs that you're in? And I'd love to maybe dive into why you join them what the advantages of them are, I think is a great way to talk about some specifics of them. First of all, how many DAOs would you say you're part of? Yes, I'm now an an active member of six DAOs. So I do hold shares in a few more DAOs, but really active, I'm in in six DAOs. Sort of the original DAO that I joined, which really started my personal DAO journey is the Lao. And that is a venture DAO formed in April, 2020. And I think it's now become the biggest venture DAO out there. So the Lao really supports any type of early stage project or product in crypto. So that can range from DeFi over infrastructure to NFTs. 
I'm personally very, still very, very excited about the Lao because on the one hand, the Lao has founded really some incredible projects early on. We were the first ones to fund SuperRare. We helped to incubate Maple Finance and many, many others. But then the second really exciting aspect about the Lao is that in the Lao, we always ask ourselves, how should this evolve, right? We have this amazing collective of people. We're 70 now, a lot of very, very smart people in there and many different interest areas. How can we channel this energy into something productive in crypto? And the outcome of that was that we started incubating DAOs from the Lao that focused on specific areas in Web3. And the probably most well-known incubation of the Lao is called Flamingo DAO, which is an NFT collector DAO that was formed in July 2020 has very early on started to collect a few of the most famous uh, NFTs. And I think it's now actually the biggest collection of NFTs overall. One of the biggest collections of CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, and many, many others. What you then could see that in Flamingo, as I'm sure you know, now NFTs are not just NFTs. There are so many different categories and so many different areas that you could dive in. So then members of Flamingo now went on and started to incubate DAOs within Flamingo DAO that focus on different areas. So now from Flamingo DAO, there's a, a DAO that's called Red DAO that collects digital fashion items. There's a DAO called Neon DAO that collects and commissions assets for the metaverse. And very recently, we started Coco DAO, which is a DAO that supports, collects, and commissions artwork with or NFTs with uh, the CC0 license. Okay, so I have a little bit to unpack there. Firstly, Lau incubated Flamingo Dow. Did I catch that correctly? I did not know that. So anyone who's listening, Flamingo Dow, if you're in this space for a little while, it's not a long time until you come across Flamingo Dow. It's one of, I would say, the most prominent investment club Dow out there. So that's super impressive. So these other Dows, Fabian, you're saying spun out of Flamingo? Just so we can get a bit of a picture, say Red Dow and Neon Dow. Red Dow, which is on fashion. Give me an example of some things they would invest in. What kind of fashion projects? Would it be NFTs? Yeah, it's really two things. On the one hand, it's actually collecting digital fashion NFTs. And the second part is investing in digital fashion houses. So there are a few small digital fashion houses that are just getting started. We have done many of their investment rounds to support young and upcoming digital fashion artists because we often had this conversation, will digital fashion be dominated by sort of the old established fashion houses, the Gucci's and the Versace's and their likes, or will it be a completely new playing field that requires a new type of creative thinking that will be very difficult to adopt for incumbents where it might make more sense to actually support new artists. And we came definitely to the conclusion that it makes sense to support new artists. This is an area that we invest a lot in. When you say you invest in the fashion houses, is that a equity investment versus when you're investing in the NFTs, you're actually buying the NFTs, just so I can get the distinction? That's right, yeah. On the metaverse, which is called NeonDAO, what kind of assets is it virtual land again? Is it some startups, some NFTs as well on that one? I would say it's three types of investments that we do with Neon. It's buying tokens and an equity rounds, both on the public and the private markets. It's buying land and then building interesting things on that land. 
And the third part is what he called Neon Biddle, like the meme, you know, built, um, <laughs> which is a guild that builds metaverse assets for Neon, but also for other DAOs or entities that would like to use our skills. So we have a set of builders that we recruited. They're building some really, really cool metaverse assets. Just recently for Flamingo DAO, we built Miami Flamingo and in the metaverse, I can share a link to the video. It looks very, very cool. I don't think it's live yet, but it looks very, very cool. That is super cool. Are these investments public in any way? Is it possible for someone, if they knew how to follow this stuff, just to see what these DAOs are investing in? They're semi-public, I would say. So some of the wallets are just known and they're not that difficult to find. There is also, uh, Flamingo just has its own gallery where we actually display some selected artworks, but we don't go out there and publish the entire list of investments. And the, the same goes for the Lao. I think if you go on the Lao.io and click on investments, you will see a list and I would say like 30% of the investments are public and the other ones are private. So if you were looking to join a DAO, if someone's listening and they enjoy investing, say, for example, how would they get involved with Neon or Red or Flamingo might be a little bit higher bar <laughs> to get involved in? I'd just love to chat about how to get involved with one. So, yeah, as you already mentioned, one of the main challenges of the DAOs is that a new member automatically gets exposure to the entire investment portfolio. With something like Flamingo, of course, that then requires that person to buy into the entire collection, which puts the buying price relatively high. That, of course, then limits the amount of people that you can get in. Because if you would just continue that model, then in the end, you will just only be able to attract larger and larger whales. And that's not really the point of the DAO. The best way to get involved is that we are still continuing to spin up new DAOs at actually an accelerating pace with new focus areas. So Coco DAO was just launched, I think, two months ago. Coco was essentially open to the public. So if you heard about Coco by knowing someone within the Tribute Network or just if it came across your Twitter feed, you could reach out to anyone that is involved with some of the existing DAOs, they would propose you as a new member. You would give a brief intro on why you think you would be a good member, a good addition, a valuable member to the DAO. And then you could join the DAO. I hope that many, many interested people reach out because the DAOs are only so strong as their members. And the more interested and smart and hungry people we can get aboard, the more successful the DAOs will be. Is Coco still open for applications? So Coco is now has raised its initial round and has, I think, with around 50 members and now is letting in, I think, another set of five members in branches. I think up until 70, it's not 100% defined yet. So it's not fully open to the public. But if someone is interested to join, they can definitely reach out to me or, or to anyone else within a network and I could propose their profile. But now it's, I would say, a little bit more challenging to get in rather than prior to the launch. Could you explain a little bit about the type of investments Coco will be making? I'd say it'd be slightly different than the others that you've been explaining so far. Yeah. So Coco, I'm smiling because we have something quite big planned that I can't share too much, unfortunately, yet. But I'm sure listeners will know when it's ready. Coco will take a quite a different approach. But on the investment side, of course, Coco will try to support CC0 projects, but Coco also has some interesting and pretty cool plans to create their own CC0 projects. And I think it will be the DAO that strongest goes into the 
creating aspect of the DAO rather than just the investing aspect of the DAO. That's interesting. That'll be quite different. Exciting to see what comes of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there is this it's such a big playing field, what you can do with CC0. I think there are some really established players that already have done a great job at that. But at Coco, we're thinking about how we can take a little bit of a different spin to what's out there and maybe even something like a homage to what's out there in the CC0 project. So I think that will be quite cool. Just to give a bit of a flavor for someone who's listening and is really unsure what level of investment could be required to join a DAO for something like a Coco or a Neon? Is it, you know, I'm going to just throw some numbers out, but would it be 5 ETH? Would it be 100 ETH? You know, what kind of level is it if you want to get involved in a DAO? We actually just adjusted it for exactly the reason that we want to broaden the field and make it possible for a broader audience to join the DAOs. So the initial buying for Neon DAO was 50 ETH. And for CocoDAO, it's 10 ETH, so much more affordable. Perfect. And if you were wanting to get involved in something like Flamingo, which is quite legendary now, are you familiar with what the current buy-in is? Just be curious. It's around 3,500 ETH. 3,500 ETH. Yeah, so it's mainly for established funds to get involved. The Lao is lower, but not significantly. So that also makes the audience smaller. It's more institutional buyers at this point. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And as well as money aside, do you need to invest, a, promise to invest a certain amount of time? Or is that more optional? You find some people are very active and some people are more passive in the DAOs, or is there a certain requirement? It's a great question. And it's the question that we ask ourselves in every DAO. How do you incentivize active participation? And we've gone back and forth because, of course, naturally, you immediately get these ideas of active members will get rewarded monetarily or through some other way, or you have some penalty systems. But the problem is the more we spin it around, the more you get to a point where you just create new incentive structures that kind of mimic what you have in existing corporations, which is really not the goal of what we're trying to achieve. So the way we do it is there's absolutely no requirement to invest any amount of time. But before accepting a new member in the DAO, we just ask Blanty the question, how much time can you bring into the DAO? What can you bring to the table? That can be one hour per week if it's just attending the call and then being very, very active in the call, or it can be 10 hours per week, or it can be 20 hours per week. It really doesn't need to be measured in time. It just should be measured in what's actually valuable to the DAO. There are no hard incentives for people to be active or inactive, but there are something that I like to call soft incentives, which means if you're active in, let's say, Flamingo DAO, you just get so much alpha in NFTs and you just learn so much that it just makes sense to be active. And I hope this will be true just for any other DAO that let's say if you are really, really active in Neon DAO, you will hear of new cool metaverse things that are going to be commissioned and then maybe you can buy some for yourself. Or let's say if you're super active in Flamingo DAO, you will hear of the new DAO, Coco DAO early on and you can join Coco DAO, you can recommend it to a friend. So a lot of these soft incentives... They're not written in stone hard incentive, which says if you're not active, your share gets cut by X, but you're just being rewarded by being active because you just get value out of it. And I think this is the ideal scenario. Something you said was you could spend one hour a week on the call. Tell us a little bit about the call, because I have heard of 
these calls that happen in the likes of Flamingo Day, where all this alpha gets shared. I've heard of these things. They're they're quite legend. So if you could tell us a little bit about an average call in a DAO, whether it be Flamingo or, or Neon, whatever, what goes on in one of these calls? I think one of the core ingredients to these calls is we have a team from a company called Tribute Labs, who are running the operations for all of the DAOs. I think it's really important to mention. And I think the DAOs would nowhere near be as successful as they are without Tribute Labs because they handle, on the one hand, all the operational stuff like our text documents, all the legal stuff, but they also moderate the calls and prepare the agenda, which is a huge help for a member because as a member, you can literally plop into the Discord. There's a daily summary of what's going on. You can read it in five minutes, uh, which is fantastic. And then you can go on the call and the core calls are really, really high signal. And we go for an agenda. For every DAO, they're usually two hours long. In one of the DAOs, we just have a just regular market chatter where we just catch up on what's happening. Then we go through sort of like some admin items and then we dive into the deals. Who is speaking? Is it one person or is it you go around Robin or do people table? Oh, I've got something interesting. I'd just be curious how that works. So usually on the calls, there are like 30 to 40 people. So it's quite a high attendance rate. And there is only a very soft moderation from the tribute team. So the tribute team goes through the agenda where we have all the interesting projects that we want to talk about. But then it's really a free-for-all. And often you have sort of simultaneously, you have what's happening on voice, but then you also have a chat that's really, really active for things that are not super pressing. So yeah, I think these calls are incredibly interesting. And uh, yeah, as you might have heard, right, especially Flamingo call was sometimes called the Fed of of NFTs, (laughs) which I think there's some truth to that because it is definitely the most eclectic selection of NFT collectors. And then you have the power of the DAO itself as well. So I think there's definitely some truth to that. Okay, I'm getting a little bit of a picture of that. You said also some people might want to spend 20 hours a week on the DAO. If someone is spending 20 hours a week contributing to a DAO in time, what are they typically doing? Are they spending lots of time in Discord or are there other things that they may be doing? I mean, of course, spending lots of time in Discord is one part. Second part is jumping on calls with projects that we might be interested in investing in or just maintaining the relationships to existing portfolio companies. And then lastly, it's really also going out to conferences and showing our faces, speaking at conferences, finding new interesting projects potentially to invest in. I have done that myself quite a bit over the last 12 months where I've been to pretty much like most of the major conferences in in Europe, met lots of interesting people. That's how we we met (laughs) in New York. And yeah, that can, of course, easily be for like a certain period of time than more than just 20 hours a month, 60, 70, 80 hours. And would people be employed by the DAO to do these things? Or would it be more on a volunteer basis? In some cases, there are DAOs that have employees, but you always get them to the question, like what should be done by a paid employee and what should be done by a voluntary member? So actually all of the DAOs that I'm in, it's entirely based on a voluntary basis. So it really just requires people to see the value of them spending that time that this time will then be sort of more value accretive to the value of their shares and the overall value of the DAO than a direct salary would be. Although there is definitely always the possibility if someone, let's say, wants to do a very specific job, wants to do a marketing gig for 20 hours a week for three months, they could definitely be reimbursed by the DAO. We just have not seen really many of such cases in the DAOs. 
Got it. I'm a member of OneDAO, SquiggleDAO. I'm sure you've come across it. The founder, I think his name is Justin. I might have got that wrong. He went out and raised $8 million, I believe that amount, to essentially set up the DAO and run the DAO. And there are people employed in SquiggleDAO. And I remember when I joined, it just really blew my mind that you could just raise $8 million to build a DAO to promote one particular NFT. Anyone who's listening, the Squiggle DAO is really there to promote the Chromey Squiggle. So Fabian, if someone was listening to this and they are an active NFT investor and they're sitting there going, well, hold on, why would I invest my money in a DAO rather than just investing my own money in the NFTs that I believe are going to go up? Will I be diluting the amount of return I can get? What would you say to that? I think if you're able to do that, that is fantastic. The main upside you get from a DAO is that you benefit from the power of the hive mind. I think it's very, very difficult for an individual to make all the right decisions. If you just take NFTs, there are so many different categories you would need to take one out, single one out, and only focus on that category and accept that you're going to miss out on eight of the other categories. And that's just NFTs. And then you're going to miss out on all the other stuff in crypto as well. So how I like to do it is that I come from a DeFi background. That's what I understand best. That's sort of my home turf, but I'm incredibly interested in NFTs. I'm still learning and I love to get better. So for me, the NFT DAOs are an exceptional way to learn about NFTs, to dive deep into NFTs, and also just to have that part of my portfolio covered. I don't need to go out and just buy NFTs left and right and do my own analysis because I know in the DAO, we make decisions with people that are much, much smarter than I am in NFTs. And I have just have that part of my portfolio just covered. And I can focus on DeFi and infrastructure and these kind of things and then add value there in the DAOs. And I think that's a fantastic way, way of working. For me, I'm getting a lot of value out of these calls, just often just listening to them and hear all these smart people bouncing off ideas. And I would not trade that for just being a sole trader any day. That sounds really good. So it sounds like there's something around HiveMide, definite community and getting access. And then there's a piece on portfolio theory and kind of getting a bit more exposure across everything when there's so much to invest in. That makes a lot of sense. Are there any concerns people would have about joining a DAO. I'm sure things that you commonly come across perhaps are all this alpha being dropped and then someone maybe going off and there's a term front running where you go off and try and take advantage of the investment yourself. Do these things come up often when you're chatting to people? Have you ever experienced them? Or It's really interesting. That was the main concern when we started Flamingo. That was the main concern why people said it won't work because people were just front run it. And I think that underestimated a little bit the incentives that, that humans actually have. If, if you maybe give an individual the possibility of just front run without any implications, then that might happen. But in the end, you're doing it from your public ENS and it will be visible in any case. And then the marginal upside that you will have of front running in like one or two projects over the incredible upside you will have of the DAO being successful is just much smaller. So in the end, it all comes down to incentives. And I think if you get the right people on board, the incentives to make the DAO large are much, much bigger for just individuals who front run the DAO. And usually if you just follow along with the DAO, you will do well enough yourself without needing to do any kind of 
obvious front running in the end. So I really think there is no need for doing that. And I think all the other members in the DAOs would agree. Do you mind me asking, have you ever come across any of the DAOs coming into or even heard of a story from a different DAO where any of that kind of stuff happened? There has been one case in Flamingo where a member front ran the DAO and then essentially it was mutually decided that that member, between the member and the DAO, that that's not the right fit. It doesn't really make sense. That's not how the DAO wants to operate. And also for the member, then it didn't really make sense. He was a person that really just was more someone that wanted to trade on their own. And then it was mutually agreed that that person leaves the DAO. But that was the only incident and that was right in the beginning of forming Flamingo DAO. Just for anyone who's listening is not familiar, it was probably spotted because you can see all these transactions happen. All of this is public when it's on blockchain. And that was probably a wallet address was seen. Super interesting. I think it's a real testament to the power. You know, we all, of course, like financial returns, but social capital and the power of your social status in a community is also so important, isn't it? And that's really powerful. So if someone was wanting to join a DAO, we've had some examples, Neon, Coco, these sound amazing DAOs. If someone was wanting to explore different ones, how are DAOs found? I think the best way is to follow Tribute Labs on Twitter and follow Flamingo down Twitter. The new DAOs are usually posted there. But there will be also a new mechanism of discoverability for the new DAOs. And there will even be a way to soft join existing DAOs without needing to buy into the DAOs. We're toying around with some ideas how we can make that work. But I think it's really important to broaden the community aspect of the DAOs because we just often so often hear that people are really, really interested in the DAOs and would love to contribute to the DAOs without needing to bring up the entire capital or taking up an entire new seat in the DAO. So We're turning around with some ideas and there will be something coming very soon. On the return side of things, has anything been publicized on what kind of returns? I think we're still talking on some of the investment DAOs here. Have they been around long enough to publish any returns or has there been any stats on that? Yeah, I mean, especially on the original investment DAOs, the Lao and Flamingo DAO, the returns, I would say, are almost public so, I mean, Flamingo Down now is raising at, I think the last round was at 3,000 ETH and the buy-in was at 60 ETH. So that's quite tremendous. For the Lao, it's a little bit smaller. It's 120 ETH buy-in. The last price was 1,500 ETH. So around a 12x in ETH plus the USD appreciation since April 2020. Okay, so I see you can track the buy-ins and the increase in the buy-in to find out what their returns are. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, so it should be at 12x in ETH. And then ETH now is at, I think ETH back then was at 300. So that's another 6x and you get to like a 70x roughly in, in, in USD terms. So yeah, it's been tremendously, it's been, it's been tremendously successful. Pretty good. <laughs> if I mean, I take it you're full-time in Web3 now. You were working in tech before, Could you tell a little bit, what was the moment that you went, right, listen, I'm into Web3, I'm going full-time. Could you talk a little bit about that transition? Because I know there's a lot of people that are listening that will be struggling with that at some point. I remember this very vividly. This was in early, like spring 2020. 
And I was interviewing for new jobs. I was interested in joining a new tech startup, FinTech. And I was interviewing with all these companies. And simultaneously, DeFi Summer was starting. And all these DeFi protocols were not really seeing any price appreciation, but just adoption and just the user numbers of Aave that just has rebranded and synthetics and MakerDAO. Just user adoption was going wild. And you could see all of these smart contracts plugging on top of each other. You would create money with DAI and then you would take that DAI and lend it out on Aave and then you can borrow ETH against it and you could take that ETH and then put that into synthetics or somewhere else. And that's when it was like, wow, this is incredible. And simultaneously, I was interviewing for, uh, I don't want to name the name, but let's say a big, large, very popular neo bank. And I was speaking with them and they were speaking to me. All my interviews were around fulfilling all these compliance requirements for the bank and all the very, very slow and tedious processes that are now in place to ship new products. I'm relatively high energy when it comes to work and I get excited about new stuff and I want to be on the frontier. And I literally had a day where I said, and I was like, oh my God, I'm interviewing for something that's not going to change massively over the next coming years. It's just going to get slower and it's just going to be much, much less exciting than anything that's happening in crypto. Why am I even doing this? And that's the moment when I decided I'm going to do, I'm going to do full-time Web3 and I have not regretted a single second. It has many, many upsides. I think just by the nature that crypto is completely decentralized in its nature also means that the work is decentralized. So you will always work remotely. You will have offsites with your team, which is my personally preferred style of working. You have a lot of autonomy, which for some people is great. For some people need a little bit more structure, but I personally think that's a huge upside to your life. And also just, you have an insane amount of impact. Like you can be a 10, 20 person team and you build a protocol and all of a sudden that protocol manages billions of dollars by hundreds of thousands of people. I think that's incredibly impactful. I think the last time you were able to do something that impactful was probably the advent of web two when social media came up. And I think now you have the chance to work on something like that again. I would highly recommend to do that. It's incredibly exciting. So Fabian, what I'm hearing is you saw the future, but also there's probably a bit of emotion there of what was exciting you. It sounds like you made the decision before you were maybe fully self-sufficient in the Web3 space. Was it a bit of a leap of faith? Oh, totally gamble. <laughs> I'm sure that's the kind of thing that people are going through in their head or like, okay, I can see this. But right now, the money's coming from the old stuff. <laughs> but I see the future in the future stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I think people often misprice risk, especially when you're in your mid, early, late 20s, even if you're in your 30s. And if you sort of are sufficient with a certain level of income, then the difference between working in Web3 and working in a traditional company are actually not that large. I think the safety, the perceived safety of the job is also not that significant because if you build up a career in Web3, I don't think you will really often have a hard time finding a new job and finding a new project if the old project doesn't work out. Of course, there's a little bit more unsafety in your in your day-to-day, -day, that's for sure, and also in the long run because just the project, there is a possibility it doesn't work out. But even if it doesn't work out, the maximum downside is that you might be unemployed for a month or two and even then, there's still a possibility you can go web to web two. So I think actually the downside of going into web three full time is a little bit overplayed. But I think that's probably just how humans think. They prefer the safety. They prefer structure. 
But I personally, I always like to take on big risks and it has actually always paid off. And I think that if you're in that age, why the hell not? Just go do it. See if it's something free. And if it's not, you can always go back. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. It's so easy to look at, oh, where's the next month paycheck going to go rather than going, where's the upside here over the next two to three years? And listen, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we didn't think that everything to do with Web3 and the metaverse is really where that's going to be. Exactly. If you just think about it, you, you have the opportunity to become an integral part of building the next internet. If it doesn't work out, then you were an integral part of the next internet that failed. And if it does work out, you were part of the integral part of building next internet. That's incredible. Why wouldn't anyone do this? (laughs) Yeah, super cool. Are you employed by a company now or are you connecting with other companies? Because what I see is people working in Web3, it's almost like a lot of people don't just work for one company, they work across. The way of having a career is a bit different in Web3 as well. Just be curious to know how you're navigating that. I think probably the best analogy is that you're working like a freelancer because most of the companies also are not necessarily incorporated in one place. So then you're more just operating as a contractor. And yeah, I'm currently just employed by my own company that pays myself sort of my salary for my daily living expenses. So that's that's relatively straightforward. But I would say exactly to what you say, I think most people operate like freelancers where they just invoice the companies that they work for, which of course, there's, there's a little bit more uncertainty to this type of work. And there's also a little bit more of admin work. But in the end, if you can iron that out, then I would say it's absolutely worth it. I'd love to just shift gears a little bit and just ask, do you collect things yourself as well, NFTs and investments, or do you do all your investments through the DAOs? So most of the NFTs, the NFT things I really do through the DAOs. Personally, I think I'm not the best NFT trader myself. So for me, the NFT DAOs are perfect. Listening to all the incredibly smart people on the calls and just very, very grateful that we're making the decisions together. On the DeFi side, I'm more active myself, but in the end, I mean, at this point, I just largely hold ETH in my in my own portfolio and a few tokens here and there. Not an active trader. I think being an active trader can be very, very stressful, even though, of course, it's, it's interesting because you get this instant dopamine hit. But I think to be good at it, it's an incredibly difficult game. And I think it's only for a very small group of people. It can, it can actually be profitable and, and interesting in the long run. That makes sense. You mentioned something around it can be stressful and the world of Web3 is incredibly exciting. On the flip side of that, my experience has been that it's always on. You try and do some digital detox for mental health and you've missed <laughs> catching up is, is a whole thing. So it's moving incredibly fast and you can have really big highs and some lows. Are there any things you do that you found help you maintain good mental health I, whenever we met you always seem a very happy guy and and seem pretty healthy are there any things routines or practices you do that help you with that i love that question because i thought a lot about this and i also found myself at times where first thing i do in the morning is look at the phone and the last thing i do at night is look at the phone and then just being always on encrypted because it's just so exciting but that definitely takes a toll on your mental health and now i do 30 minutes waking up, no phone, maximum a book, the same thing in the evening, 30 minutes before going to bed, no phone. I tried to do crypto free Sundays and just spent that with my girlfriend. 
And it doesn't always work out because then there someone pings you about something and you might want to do a, a quick peek in it. But really for me, like the mornings and the evenings are actually a game changer. You really wake up in a, like start the day a completely different, different way. And ideally you start the day with just doing a 30, 45 minute workout. And then your head is in a way, way different state rather than the first thing that you do is you, you check this cord or you check crypto prices and your mind is immediately in that never ending treadmill of things going up, things going down, things eternally moving. I think that's definitely, definitely not healthy. I love that, that first 30 minutes and last 30 minutes. So that first 30 minutes, did you mention that you like to read a book during that or something? How do you spend that first 30 minutes? It's either reading a book or it's working out. Personally, I love reading sci-fi. I just finished the first part of the three-body problem, which is, I think, was often recommended in sort of also the cryptosphere. Incredibly interesting book. Could you say the book again? I'm actually a big sci-fi fan and I have not heard that. I'm going on holidays tomorrow and I may be hitting Audible. Awesome. Yeah. It's the three-body problem. I have heard of that mentioned. Yeah. Would you recommend it? Fantastic. Fantastic. Really the best sci-fi I've read in, in years. That has made my 30 minutes in the morning very, very easy. The thing I love about sci-fi, there's so many great books, whether it be Snow Crash and Ready Player One that help us envisage what might be happening a few years from now. Do you have any other favorites? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the classic one, of course, is Sovereign Individual. I actually don't know that one. Is that oh, to do with... Strong recommendation. <laughs> yeah? What's it about? It's almost a little bit like a crypto Bible. It was published, I think, in the 90s, like 96, 97, and basically paints the picture of how the information age will give much more power to the individual rather than corporations. And the individual becomes sovereign in a sense of what has been previously, like tasks that have been done by the state are then becoming the responsibility of the individual. And the individual will rather use the state as a service provider rather than being a servant to the state. I think this is sort of the core idea. And then, of course, crypto, as you can imagine, perfectly fits in there by having sovereign money that is not controlled by nation states, that you can freely move around. And it also, of course, increases the individual freedom of yourself. You can just these days, you can move from one country to the other and just take your assets with on a USB flash drive. And no one can stop you from doing that. And this is really, really core to the idea of that book. So that's also a strong recommendation. And that's a fiction sci-fi book. That's actually a non-fiction book. Ah, okay. Okay, cool. Amazing. I have my reading sorted for the next week or two. Love that. One question I always love to ask as we start to draw the conversation to a close, I want to be very respectful to your time, is when we look three years out, five years out. I know a week is an eternity in the space at the moment, but if we look to the future and we look at this thing called the metaverse, what do you think it will look like in three to five years? I think one of the strongest use cases still is that large part of our identities will move on chain, will move onto blockchains. I think DeFi in essence is moving our financial lives on chain. And all the social applications is moving sort of our Facebooks and Instagrams and our identity there on chain. And the fascinating part about the metaverse is that it transfers all the cultural aspect and the creative aspects of our life on chain. And I think that's incredibly interesting because this creates a whole new way of how you can express your identity or maybe even having multiple identities in multiple of these universes that 
in the real world, like these universes are very strongly controlled, right? And Instagram is always how do you display yourself? What kind of vacations do you want? What kind of fashion do you wear? Whereas in the metaverse, it has this weird artificial, very sci-fi way of how you can express yourself. And I think that's incredibly powerful. I think that's very, very true to human nature, to having this ability to express yourself. And on the other side, this gives artists a whole new playing field to create new forms of art, new forms of fashion, new forms of games, building blocks. I think this is something that we will see very strong that our lives will not just become more digital, but actually become more on chain. I would say that's the main prediction I'd like to give. That's super cool. Exciting ahead. Fabian, thank you for your time. I feel I've peppered you with all the questions as I, as well as so many other people, get their heads around these DAOs. If somebody wants to check you out online, wants to follow you, you're on Twitter, I believe. Where would they find you? Yes. At Twitter, I'm Fabian underscore zero X. And yeah, give me a follow. Feel free to send me a DM. Happy to chat. Perfect. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. Fabian, thanks so much for your time and uh, chat soon. Thanks so much, Howard. This was awesome. All right, that's it for this episode. Want to thank you for listening. If you want to get the links and the show notes, just head on over to our website, frontieroftheMetaverse.com. And if you like this episode, please do share it with anyone you know interested in all things Metaverse. And of course, you can subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Would be very much appreciated. All right, I'll see you in the next episode. 